So the shir tonight is um, called My Mother's, My Mother Allah Shalom and Emunah. So, so let, me, let me give you some background here. So basically, I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this letter, but my mother wrote a letter like a few years before her passing, maybe five years before her passing, something like that. And uh, she wrote a letter to myself and my siblings. And it's basically about happiness, I guess you could say. Different thoughts on happiness. It's a very interesting letter I can share with you. But um, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend looking at it. So um, amongst other things, there's, it, takes, it talks about something which I think is related to Amuna. Okay, so I'm going to, I guess I'll read you that part of it. But um, yeah, I'm doing this because I have thoughts about, I'm, I'm planning on trying to write a book about, you know, based on this letter, kind of to use this as like a guide for, I guess, it indicates various ideas about happiness. Happiness is one of those things that people are uh, looking to uh, get. And I think my mother had a, despite the fact that she had a difficult life in terms of her health issues, she um, she was very happy. So, and her letters have a lot of words, her letter have a lot of words of wisdom, which resonate in different, different chazal. So the basic plan is to have like each segment of the letter correspond to a chapter where I kind of take her quote and then build out the Chazal, find ideas in Chazal, and to try to learn her letter alongside with Chazal, and try to use it as like one of these books, which conveys like a Torah approach to happiness, something, something to that effect. So there's the, the, the part of her letter, which was, um, I think most touching to people, is this part. Okay, so I'll read it to you, and uh, it's like impact a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's impactful, but at the same time, it's hard to, when we analyze it, it's not so simple to understand. So sure, like this. Enjoy, this is talking about thoughts on happiness. Enjoy and cherish every day. Don't worry so much. Okay, enjoy and cherish every day. Don't worry so much about tomorrow or what might or might not happen. Do your best you can. Do the best you can. But if you focus your worry on tomorrow, it makes you lose today and tomorrow. If something bad is going to happen, it will happen. You won't be able to deny it. At least you have today. And so many wonderful things happen in today. If something bad or unexpected happens, you can deal with it. Okay, and um, let's see a bit more. You're stronger than you think, and maybe some good will come from it. Only God knows what lies ahead, what's just around the corner. Okay, so basically her point, you know, uh, amongst, you know, so there's a context here, but she's saying is if something bad is going to, don't worry, focus, do the best you can. Don't focus your worry on tomorrow. It's going to make you lose today and tomorrow. Okay, so that 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 uh, that piece of advice, which is try not to worry, and I think we could this resonates. Sometimes we do worry about things in the future, and that worry causes us to lose today and tomorrow. We end up having so much worry about something is we could just enjoy today. Today, oftentimes, is there's a lot of good things going on, but because we're so worried about all the different things which may or may not happen tomorrow, the next, the next, and the next, the next day, we can't even enjoy the present, and this kind of you know, self-defeating. So I think that's that, that resonates probably with different people to different degrees. You know, I think everyone worries about things sometimes and more, some people more or less, whatever. But the question is, is what do you, how do you do such a thing? It's a nice claim. It's a nice thing to say. And I think she was successful. She and my mother, Alasham, had a lot of health issues, a lot of things she could have been worried about, but she was always happy. And I think part of our trick was that she didn't, 
focus on the future, on what's going to happen tomorrow. There might be bad things tomorrow, but right now, let's just do today. Today's good, so let's just focus on today. Or, you know. But again, but that's how, how do you do that? It's easier said than done. What's the? Is there any method for doing it, or just like some people are warriors, some people aren't warriors? So we could say, look, that's just the way she was. But is there is there an advice? Is there some method? So so my thought is is like I think it has to do with emuna, and I want to go to this Gemara in Mishnah, Gemara, and Sota, analyze that, and then we could come back to see if if it's related to what she's saying or not. So basically, the Mishnah, the Mishnah is at the end of Sota for anyone who's learned it. You know that that it basically lists from when so and so died, then so and so Mido was lost. When Rabbi Kiva died, Kavaratara was battle. When Rebbe died, Anava was battle. When whatever died, and it was like this the, the end of an era, so to speak. So amongst the Sadhmara says, the Mishnah, Memchas and Aleph, talks about things which were lost when the base of Mikdash was destroyed. So it says, Misha 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 Kharav Base of Mikdash, it's the second line in the Mishnah. From the time the base of Mikdash was destroyed, Batal Hashamir, the Nothes Tufim, which are not relevant to us, Upasko and Shaman, Israel. People who have Amana, of Amuna, of trust, we'll see, were Batal from Kali Israel after the base of Mikdash was destroyed. Shenamar, as the Pasuk says, so Shia Hashem ki Gamar Chasid, Hashem save me, because the Chasid is gone, ki Fasu Amuna, Adam, because the trustworthy people are ceased. Stopped from um, people. Okay, so let's see Rashi. What's he talking about? So let's see Rashi, and then we'll see the Gemara. But Rashi says, Anche Amana. Botchim Ba'akadosh Baruch Hu. He's like, I guess technically men of trust, men of faith. Right? Botchim Ba'akadosh Baruch Hu. They trust in Ba'akadosh Baruch Hu. V'somchin Allah Lasos Tov. And they rely on him to do good. V'ein Dogem Lechizar. And they're not worried about loss. Okay, so they trust in Hashem, rely on Him to do good, and they're not worried about loss, right? And that's the thing: is those types of people, after the Beis was destroyed, they know they were no longer exist, or not to the level which they previously existed. Not clear what it has to do with uh, the Chorban per se. And the pasuk gets quoting. It's funny because this pasuk is talking about by Davin and So this is the way Mefarshim interpret it, saying Hashem save me because there's no one trustworthy in the world, it means like he was running away from Shaul, and he was trying to kill him, and he was hiding. And he'd always, whenever he'd tell anybody at his places, they'd always snitch. There's no one who's trustworthy to keep his secret. And this, I think, Rashi, it seems like this is pretty much the consensus, at least in the second there. It's the Mepharshim on the Pasukim to Hillam, where is it telling him that or something? One second, tell him, yeah, Yudbez. So that's what I'm saying, is that, that Hashem saved me, because there's no more chassid, there's no one who's trustworthy in the world. Who I could trust with telling my secret, or you know, anyone finds out, they immediately tell Shal, which is totally a different context. It's funny to use that as a proof. First of all, Dovinach wasn't after the base was destroyed, it was before the base was built. And it's not even talking about trust in Hashem, it's trustworthy people, like he can't trust anybody. So it's like a funny proof text, right? Altogether. But whatever, that's like a detail. Okay, so so the more elaborates on this Midah. Okay, so it's not clear exactly what is, what is this Midah, trust in Hashem. You're relying on to do good. You're not worried about a loss. So the Gemara elaborates a bit. So the Gemara is a memchasim And it says like this. It's five lines from the bottom. Amar of Yitzchak. 
These are first people who have Amuna and Akadosh Baruch or She'in Maminim. Okay. People don't have Amuna, whatever. Once there's Pasku, then people no longer have Amuna and Akadosh Baruch Why the Tanya? The Lazar got the Omer. Call me Sheishlo Paspisalo. Anybody who has bread in his basket. The Omer, and he says, Ma Ocha Lamachar, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Eno Elamiktan Elam. He is only merely one who is lacking in Elam. Okay. Okay. So, um, anyone who has bread in his basket and says, What am I going to eat tomorrow? is lacking in Elam. I knew. Okay. Let's see Rashi. Rashi. Shemunah Kodesh Baruch Hu levaser memonam to give, to let go of their money. Lenoi hidar mitzvah for beauty of hidar mitzvah. Lutztaka for charity. Or for spending money for Shabbos and Yantif. Right? So that's what it means that those are people who believe, trust in the Kodesh Baruch Hu and they're willing to let go of their money for these uh, purposes. As opposed to a guy who's paspasalo, and yet he says, "What am I going to eat tomorrow?" That's a guy who's lacking amuna, right? Okay, and that's what says Rabbi Lazar. My dechsev kimi basli yom katnos. Okay, well, who is disgraced for the yom of smallness? What does that, does that mean? Mi garam letzadikim she is basli shochan lasid lavo. What causes the tzadikim? To have like a degraded to- t- table in Lasid Lavo, Katna Shayvam, if they're smallest, Shalomina by Kadashbrahu. Because they didn't trust in a Kadashbrahu. Right, Katna Shayvam, she's a Katna Samana. They don't, what, what causes Sadiqim to not get full schar? It's apparently Sadiqim. But they're not getting full schar. Why? What is Causing the disgrace of on uh, Yom Haba for tzaddikim, katnas. It's the katnas, which is the katnas amana. So apparently, you can have people, or I guess tzaddikim, but yet this mida of katnas or of uh, lacking amuna prevents them from the highest level of Yom Haba, right? Something like that. Okay. So that is. These are basically the facts. Okay. Any questions? Any questions? What are you supposed to eat tomorrow? Right. Good question. What are you supposed to eat tomorrow? You mean it sounds a little ridiculous. The guy has food food in his basket, bread in his basket, and he's not supposed to think about he's not going to ask what to eat tomorrow. I mean, what's he, what is he going to eat tomorrow? We'll figure it out tomorrow. I mean, does he plant? Does he plow? I mean, plowing isn't just for tomorrow or today. I mean, plowing, planting, seems like it's part of harvesting. Isn't that all? Part of planning for the future let's sounds it, like it sounds too extreme. Let's put it this way: the moda that if you don't have sounds like saying, "Don't worry today, tomorrow." You gotta, look, if today you don't have bread, well then you got to worry. <laughs> but tomorrow, well, tomorrow, and tomorrow comes. It sounds like that. It just sounds silly. Is that? Is it sounds like too much? Is that really the case? The person is it advising a person to simply not? According to this, you never plan for the future. There's no such thing as plowing. The whole malacha of plowing wouldn't wouldn't exist for this day. So is that the case? Anshayamana, Mamish never do anything for the future. They just every day they live day by day and they never think about the next day. 
It just doesn't sound like a, a wise yeah. approach, right? What about aren't that a person does not? It seems that Chachma would dictate that a person thinks about about the future, some sort of planning about the future. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm right. asking a question. Oh, what's bad about it? Yeah, that's the question. Right? What's why is that Katanaimana? Right. Sounds like like if you have real amuna, it sounds like it's saying then you wouldn't think about tomorrow. And if you do think about tomorrow, that means you're lacking amuna. Really? It just it just doesn't sound. Yeah, like I'm asking, like, how is that like? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Right. Good question. Why is this Ma'akev their highest level Olamaba? Good question. I mean, but you know, Olamaba is necessarily for a miserable very. It could be like your level of perfection. So if you say somehow this affects your connection to Kadesh Baruch or your trust in Kadesh Baruch or something like that, you could see it's a, you know. it's a purposing of your energies. So right. your energies can't be completely in Chachma if they're worrying about practicalities for tomorrow. Right, something like that. Something like that, or it's lacking in your trust in a Kadosh But on the other hand, you're not going to get all my bucks and start to death tomorrow either. Right. Not that much time to learn in one day. Right. Yeah, okay, it's a good question. Good question. But so, how does this affect the Olam uh, Another question? Yeah. Uh, why is spending money for Misfos the, the example of? Yeah, money money that's right. Good point. What he's saying is, what's the Muna? Why doesn't he say, Muna Kadosh means you have Muna Kadosh You know what it means? You mean have a Muna? But he's like specifically giving like an action that you're doing, namely you're giving staka for you hit staka either mitzvah, shabbos yanta preparations, right? What was that? Case? The question is, is this is a stama question? Is what does emuna really mean? Like what well, Rashi explains, their their trust in Hakadosh Baruch he's going to do tov, and they rely on him, and they're not worried about sitzaron. But I mean, is that the way the world works? Is that you just trust in Hashem that everything's going to be good, and then it is good? I mean, it doesn't seem like that's the way of the world. You just have to trust in him. But he never told you that everything he's always going to give you everything good. He never told you that you just trust in him. Then you know, you have food tomorrow. Then he'll give you food tomorrow. Is there something which says that you just don't do anything? You just trust in Hashem. He'll give you food. And then you're going to have food. Who said? Trust in him. I don't know. Trust in him that you're sick. Trust in him you get better. You'll just get better. Trust in him. I mean, is that don't I have to do anything? Do I really just sit back and trust in him and don't don't act? Doesn't seem to be a darachachach. What doesn't seem like that's a Torah recommend? So what is that? Well, it's, it's this type of emuna seems to be superficial. Doesn't seem to be, you know, the way of the world that you just sit back and trust in Hashem, right? How are you supposed to do that? What is this Mila? And I think this is generally a problem, a question about emuna. Well, it's not clear. Where's the place of Muna? On the one hand, there is like this re- religious attitude is just sit back, let God do everything. You know, there's a certain type of, some, some segments of people have that attitude. I don't know how many people actually really do, but whatever. There's people who talk about that. But we don't believe in that. But at the same time, there is a Muna, Muna's part of the Torah. It is a thing. You see, it's certainly talking about it. So what is it? What's its place? And how, how does, how, I guess, how does a Muna impact your life? Right? Like a person say, I should have a muna. What's the nafkamina? How, how is it practical if a person has, what does it look like if a person has a muna? If a person doesn't have a muna. Right? It seems like one of those things we're supposed to do, but it's not clear what it means exactly, especially if we don't necessarily think that we're God's watching over every single action that we do and He's just going to always just take care of us every little thing that we do. I mean, is that the way we think of God? Is this the Father who this guy who's just going to do whatever we want? Do we just trust him and take care of us? Is that it doesn't seem like the world works that way? 
maybe if we believe that it would, then it would. But, and most saying the Mimi was pointed at the man where they wanted to work. And Isaiah says, No, look, Hashem takes care of the people with the man. When he hears the man, you see this is what your father lived on. Seems like a similar kind of point. In fact, I don't know where it says, I didn't read this before, but when it says, um, you know, you know, one second. Because I saw an addition here, a lama here. So it says, Enel Miktani Amana. So it says, Vehainu, this is the footnote. This is from the Yalkut, in the Yalkut, I don't know, some Shenem, Senu, Basarasi. No, so I was talking about by the man, right? That was the beginning of the Pasuk start. All right, the midst of gathering the man, it says, Vehimash Amosha. She says, On a senu, follow the mitzvah. So you can follow the mitzvah, so you're not going to leave it over because you don't trust in it. And that's why you can leave it over. You're going to say, What are we going to do tomorrow? Because that's the point. It's one of the mitzvahs. So you can't leave it over. Why would anyone leave it over? Because they're worried about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust in Hashem. They'll have it tomorrow. Yeah, great. When you're getting them on, I understand. You're getting light from falling from the sky every day. Yeah, you have Avtacha. And he's giving you the man, and he's saying it's going to fall from the sky. But we're not living in that era where food is falling from the sky. It seems the way we make money is by planning and by having a job and having a career. Just to sit back every day and say, maybe red will fall from the sky. I mean, that's not our tzivoy. That's not our world. So what does it even mean? Right? Is that really a good riot to say it in there? And that was, I guess, from Yermio's. Yermio's. That's what they should have said back to Yermio. Yeah, right, right. They should have said Yermio, right. That was his critique, but it seems like a good point. Like, is that legitimate to just do that? The Pasuk, the Rashi is 1632 in Shemos. It says, Right, uh, one second. So you're keeping this for all generations. Rashi says, He'd rebuke them. Why are you learning? How are we going to live? Can't just drop our malacha. The nation see the Dvar Hashem. Didn't say, listen, see. Hashem has a lot of different methods, a lot of messengers to give you food. Don't worry about it so much. Learn some Torah. One of those messengers is work. Yeah, that's true. All right, one of the messengers is work. So what's what is the argument? What's the message? Don't work, right? That's a good point. How are we going to live, right? So yeah, it seems like that's the lesson of the month. But the question is, how do we interpret this lesson, right? Okay, so so one step. Well, the first step, which I think is a small, you know, somewhat of a step, but I think you have to say, is that there's a difference between planning and worrying. Okay? Planning and worrying. Like Rashi says, that you trust Hashem is going to do the good, and you're not worrying about a loss. Right? Something to that effect. Right? He says, You trust in Hashem, and you rely on Him, you're not worried about loss. So what I, what I mean is he's not saying a guy who has food for today shouldn't plan for tomorrow. He's saying he shouldn't say, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Which means like, and I think today doesn't necessarily mean today. It means he's got a plan. 
He's got a plan for the foreseeable whatever, for today, the, for the present, for the foreseeable future. And, but then there's an idea of like, even if you have a great plan, you sometimes say, okay, but what's gonna happen if it doesn't work out, right? Whatever plan you have, any plan you have, you make a plan where you're gonna support yourself, you say, oh, but what's gonna happen if it doesn't work out? You, there's always that, no matter how much money a guy has, a guy can always say, what's gonna happen if I, whatever, if uh, something falls through? And what about if that falls through? You make it back up for that, well, what about if that falls through? So there's like, there's, there's some saying there's planning and there's worrying. And the difference is that planning is rational, is I guess finite, is thought out about what is necessary to, how do I, what's a good rational plan to secure my well-being for today, tomorrow, the next day, the foreseeable future, whatever. And then what is, then, then there's a, a point beyond that where I have a rational plan, but then I'm looking, sometimes I'm looking for something more. It's a part of a person that even though you have a rational plan, you say, look, it's just a plan. It's not necessarily going to work out. What am I going to do if it doesn't work out? And then the part of that is like, I think, endless. That, that, that type of, like, again, that's the thing that's saying like, but <clears throat> maybe you're me out. Saying there's an idea of working and then there's working to a point of an endless degree where, you're, where you could always work more. You could always try to cover your bases in case this, in case this, in case that, in case that, in case that. But that's what I'm saying is there's a, comes a point where there, there's, a, there's a rational point where a person has a good plan and it looks like it's going to work out. And beyond that, it's like a certain percent of that will be okay, whatever that percentage is. I don't know. Whatever your comfort level is, let's say 95%, whatever, that things are going to work out under pure natural circumstances. And then the rest of it, you don't know. And that there is always, I guess this is the problem, is there's always an uncertainty. <laughs> Even in the best laid plants, there's always an uncertainty. The market could crash and whatever. The business could do this, so there could be a fire and this, you can get secure. There's always a million things that can happen that could even make the best plans fail. And what do you do about that? What does a person do? Like after you have a, a plan, the plan's like you make a good rational plan, but now there's always questions. What if, the what ifs. And the what ifs could cause a person endless, like the amount of work that you have to do to close up all those what ifs is endless and, and you never actually really close them all up. So, so I'm saying is that the, the attitude there, the, I think what I'm suggesting is that that's the place for Muna. Place for Muna is if you, after you have a good plan and now you have concerns that maybe it's not going to work out. There are other factors. It's, it's a good plan, but there's a lot of factors which are out of my control. You have to accept those. You have to acknowledge there are factors which are out of your control. And how are you going to control the factors which are out of your control? by endless obsession about trying to fix, deal with every single last possible thing? Or are you better off by turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and davening and doing mitzvos and raising your level of perfection because you know God runs the world by Skarva Onesh and there's, uh, there's, there's justice in the world. And like ultimately, every, the, all those last things, are it's impossible to get ultimate security. It's impossible, even, even by turning to God, you're not going to guarantee that you're going to, but it's like, it's a better, 
at that there comes a point where you're better, you've done your due diligence, and now you have to daven, or now you have to turn to Gash Baruch and raise your level of perfection. Because now it's up to those chance factors, which can never, again, you can make a good plan, but you can never really lock up all those factors. And that's the, the time and place for Bitachon means is like God set up a system, like following the dictates, the rational of a system, but there's also, like ultimately, I guess my fake is deal it comes down to two things. How the laws of nature, the nature, the nature play out, and Shavonish. There's like there's a mix. There's a that's what I'm saying. Ultimately, what occurs to a person is a combination of how he navigates the laws of nature and those other factors which are out of his control. And that's the area of Shavonish. So it's a good question. So so does that mean like every plan, of course, has to consider what else? But then, and this is a line which I think you have to have an intuition. There's no clear answer to. But there's what ifs, and there's what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know. And again, the, the line is is murky, and I think you have to have a shikla das into saying is when is when when am I being rational, and when am I looking for like when am I looking for a good plan, and when am I looking for absolute security? The absolute security is unattainable, and when you feel like you're in need of that, that's where you have to. Your, your best security is in a gosh project. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a security necessarily that you're going to be able to have the money because even people have security trust in Hashem, they still end up dying or they still end up being starving or whatever. There's no guarantee, but there comes a point where you're better off putting your time and energy into learning code. And you'll be more likely to be successful or to get stuck up. A certain point is what's what are you better off? Are you giving better off giving away 10% of your money to Staka or hoarding every last dollar? What's going to be better off for your long-term monetary success? Is that 10% really going to make the difference between success and failure? If you have a fire or whatever, you lose the 90%, you lose the 10%, you lose everything. Ultimately, there comes a point, if you have a good plan, and you have all your X amount of dollars, you give 10% of it, you're not going to break the bank on your 10%, but you're just going to raise your level. You're going to relate to Akadosh Baruch Hu, you're going to raise your level in terms of Svarvah it's a better investment on your money to give the 10% than to hoard the 10% or to spend the money on Shabbos and Yontif and on these things. It's you, you raise your, your place in the system of Star of So, but a person who can't let go of every dollar, who is, I feel like there's a certain overconfidence, overestimation. And this is what I'm trying to mix together. There's an overestimation of a person's role, you know, their control over the world. And you feel like you can micromanage the world and every last dollar could, uh, you could count every last dollar what you have and solve every last possible solution. I feel like that's part of what worry is. Part of what we worry is we obsess over all the possible things that can happen. And we try to come up with solutions. But I mean, if this happens, I mean, if this happens, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? I mean, it's like your mind races through all the different possible things. And as if you could, you could actually close up all those possible holes. You have to accept that I can't control everything. There's a limit of my ability to control. I can make a good plan, but then there comes a point where I have to let go and realize it's not my world. It's and ultimately I have to turn to Kodesh Baruch And to agree with a person is, is like thinks everything's in their control and they, then they're, they obsess and they worry and they think tomorrow, 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 all these different things. So to agree to it, a person has to be willing to like um, disengage to a certain extent and realize, look, I can't do everything. Ultimately, there are things which are always going to be out of my control. And all like, the, I could work to fix it, but the way it would work is not through obsessing, it's through it's through learning Torah, it's through raising my level. That's a much more effective way at closing up the final 5% or whatever. 
is through raising your level than by, as I'm saying, there's a rationality. You, know, you have 95% security based upon your plan. How are you going to get that 5%? Better off through more, better through tefillah and Talmud Torah and the mitzvahs than through obsessing and hoarding and all those different, you know, other, other methods which don't work. And uh, you get you caught and you lose, and then you lose to the end. Well, you can't even live your life. You can't learn Torah. That's why I think, I don't think Yemiel is saying, telling them. That's what I'm saying. The debate there is not saying, Yemiel is not just saying, sit in your hands and just not learn Torah and don't do anything. They're, they're working. You know, there's, there's different types of people who work. You still have these issues. A person could never not learn any Torah and say, the reason why I'm not learning is because I have to work. Okay, you're going your whole life working. When are you going to learn? Oh, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Maybe cut it back a little bit. Set some time into your schedule to learn some Torah. Are you going to die if you can't? You're not going to put food on your table if you work a few hours less, however many hours that is. But a person has to figure it out. But is that true? That you need to work every last hour, otherwise you're you're not going to be able to make it. Or well, no, you don't know. There are a lot of factors. You're not sure how it's going to break. So you may see things. Okay, but you're assuming worst case scenario. You have to just maximize your thing. Well, maybe don't aim for the ma- the only thing that were true is the laws of nature maybe you're right you maximize everything for the laws of nature but given that there's onash, what about maximizing your tamatora and your onash? so there has to be a balance and they're saying what are we going to do the only way we're going to make money is by uh, working and he's saying no it's true that's a part of it but whether all those factors will work out Hashem gave you the man so we're not necessarily getting the man but that doesn't mean there's no Yad Hashem in anything it just means we don't have the man anymore. It's through it's not necessarily through the man, but it might be through you work a little less hours and you'll have a good uh, break and, and work that the next day. And we all know how many, how much of things in our success are attributable to us and how much are based on other factors. I mean, some of it's attributable to us, but a lot of things are attributable to good breaks, which are totally out of our control. It's a little tricky because you're right there. What is that you can't control? But either, every what if you could always affect in teeny bits. But I feel there's a point of like diminishing returns. There's a point where the amount of energy it takes to solve that what if. You come like a guy has a good, let's say a guy has a law degree and he has a good job or whatever. But you know what? He's also going to go to medical school in case law doesn't work out. I mean, that's crazy. Right? And that's like, well, you're going to spend how much time you can put in because of, uh, you know, so you're saying even they so, I mean, yeah, you can control it. You can have two professions. I remember hearing someone, I forget this story. Some guy was getting another degree in case his career doesn't work out. But it's true. Law may not work out. So what do you do? You're going to have a second degree. You're going to spend two years of like trying to get another degree in case law doesn't really, work out. But really that guy's suffering from the problem. He's, he's a schoolaholic. Yeah. He's afraid of going out to the real world. Yeah, that could be also. Well, that could be also. There's different, different types of things. But the point is like sometimes, like, I mean, there are things you could do to protect yourself but it's like the amount of energy that you put into it learn some torah it's like you, it's like a thing you don't trust and it goes roughly you just think if you don't believe that there's such a thing as starvonish you just think there's, there's nothing it's just it's all laws of chance all your laws of chance and your ability to you know to navigate them then i mean it could say anyways there comes a point where you're not going to enjoy yourself you worry you lose you there's even not as a, that's what i'm trying to balance it's like the role of even an atheist could understand this idea. So just enjoy yourself a little bit. Don't just uh, constantly, you know, you're driving yourself nuts over all these worries. A good psychologist will say, stop worrying and just enjoy yourself. But I feel like to some extent, that there's a, that's good advice. But there are there is uncertainty. And like a person, like how do you deal with that uncertainty? So you could just say, suck it up. That's it. 
But the, the Torah is saying that no, you don't have to say sakalap. You could say it'd be an Oven Hashem. And there, there's something you can do about it. You don't have to just say, there is a certain rational atheist could say, like, I'm doing whatever I could do. Beyond that, there's nothing I can do. I can't over, over control everything. And I just have to accept the fact, the depressing fact, that there's a certain percentage that uh, it's, 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 it's stinking. There's nothing I can do about it. That is realistic, but it's, there's something depressing about it. You know, and because it's depressing, oftentimes a person rebels against the depressing and tries to control things, and tries to, you know, the worry and over, over or do things. But we don't have to just depressingly accept the fact that there's nothing we could do. There is something we could do. But it's not by obsessing and trying to micromanage those percentages. It's by Torah and mitzvahs. You could do a lot. You could spend your moment learning Torah. I mean, there's always things you could do. And those things end up affecting you know, the needle of Sarvonish. Sarvonish is based upon your level. So there's a lot you could do. Now, it's not directly addressing it and degree to which you don't trust in uh, the idea of Slava Onash, then it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Giving like everyone, giving Tzlaka is the stupid economic decision. If all you are is economics, then it's dumb. You're giving away your money. How could that be good for you? You're giving away your money. But if you appreciate the idea of uh, Slava Onash and the idea of that, uh, the Yad Hashem, then it could be, you're actually could be improving your, uh, your financial probability of success by giving away money because you know, there's another variable. There's a variable of money and economics. There's another variable of Ashkava. It's So it's like they ha- you have to have a, a, a fact. We don't, even though we don't know, I guess this is the point. Even though we don't know the ways of Ashkava, we don't know where we're at in terms of Ashkava, and we don't know what is Ashkava, what isn't Ashkava, and the balance of you know nature and uh, Ashkava. We do know there is Sarvonash. We do know there is. God is just, and there's Rosh Hashanah, and there's Yom Adin, and there's a correlation between our, our, our doing mitzvahs and our star, and our veros and onash. We can't, can't ever map it out. It's beyond us to actually map it out. But we do know that in the, in the overall system, there's, there's uh, brachos and nesklalos. And uh, at the degree to which we follow Torah mitzvahs, that's, got, that's worth something. And it's worth more than the micromanaging, which doesn't really work. Of nature either yes yes yeah that's a good point i had a point he's like yeah it's so important to me like i don't know how science works out but you may say like a uh, guarantee you think you're guaranteed that you the god's going to protect you whatever i say let's say a guy says i'm going to make a good uh, a, uh investment strategy are you guaranteed that your investment strategy is going to work out 55 let's say 55 percent successful investment strategy great take it but you say well no i don't see exactly how it's going to work out i'm not going to do it no that's you you, just, you may you know that good investment strategies are better in the long run, and therefore you do them. Well, doing the mitzvahs, Torah mitzvahs, learning Torah is better in the long run. Therefore, it's rational to do it. So how is it going to affect you? What will affect you is, are you going to give your money to Tzaka? You're not going to give your money to Tzaka. Are you going to do uh, spend more money on a Shabbos? You're not. Are you going to learn Torah, or are you going to maximize every last uh, you know hour in learning or in work? Wait for the lawyers to come you know. Right, so so there's Anshe Amanas again. So let's see. So Rashi is saying that they botchum akadosh baruch hu. It's not clear that there's two things. Botchum akadosh baruch hu is somechun alav lasos tov. You botech on akadosh baruch hu, and you trust in him to do good. For in dogan lachisar. So in dogan lachisar, we're explaining. You're not just worried about lot. But what are these two different things? Botchum akadosh baruch hu is somechun alav lasos tov. Now, one, one other thing is, so, so the Mikdash, so it goes like this, is that 
you could you could talk about this, but the degree that you could implement it is based upon your confidence in this idea of sovereignty and the fact that God does ultimately reward the righteous and reward you for righteousness and punish you for you know. So it could be when the mikdash is standing in all its grandeur, and Shomamala or whatever is like the most powerful, rich, successful nation, and we see the splendor of the mikdash, you see the success of Torah. But when you see the mikdash get destroyed, and you see that the Shem Hashem is you know is not manifest in the world, and we're in shambles, and you know there's a korban, then it's very hard to wrap your head around that. And it's like you lose confidence in the, it's like you don't, it's not, you might know the principle of Sarva Onesh in theory, but it doesn't impact you emotionally because you, you lose confidence in the particular expressions of it. So it could be it's saying is that, of course, you could still have it to a mimiktas in the various degrees, but the real Anshayamana, the highest level, it could only really be accomplished in a world which, confirms it, observationally confirms the fact that success, you want to see the real success, look at the base Magdash. You want to see beauty, you want to see the, you know, kingdom of what, what, where real grandeur is, look at Hashem's Magdash. So, yeah. And to that degree, it's hard for us. You know, it doesn't, the world doesn't confirm, observationally confirm it. We, we can know it by studying the Torah, but we don't see it in like in concrete terms, and that makes it much harder for us to truly embrace it. Now, again, I don't. Th I, th I think it lends itself to various degrees, but the degree to which it, you know it, the inability, the, the lack of mikdash and the gallus makes it much harder, because there's a disconnect between what we the theory that we know about scarva onish and what we actually see of the facts on the ground, arguably because of our chatan. It's not that Scharmosh isn't true, it's just that it was a nation where Khatam, and therefore we don't see the uh, manifest Ashkach on the country, we see Esther So, to this certain degree, we don't know the lines. We don't really know to what degree is it still true, given that we have a Chorban. It's not just that we don't see it, it's like, how much how much is it true? We know that when Kaisro is doing the Ratzon Hashem, we know that it's going to be, it's not going to get sick, it's going to rain, all that. But what about Warangalas? What are the lines? Maybe it's not just that we don't have confidence. We don't even really know the lines. We know that Sarbonish is true. We know that we're better off ultimately doing the mitzvahs than not doing the mitzvahs, but it's hard to hang your hat on that. You know, it's hard to, to really emotionally grab hold of that. And to the degree that you're emotionally insecure and worrisome, it's like you, it's hard to just sit and learn Torah and just trust in a God's bracha. Like your emotions have to come along. This is like demands your emotions. The worry has to be like your mind. It can't just be your mind. It's like your emotions have to buy in. Otherwise, you're just going to be worried and you're not going to be able to focus learning Torah because you're all worried. So it just helps to sit in your hands and just start trying to learn Torah. You're not going to be able to focus. So you have to, in a certain sense, be able to internalize it. And, you know, that's part of the challenge. One other point is that thinking by David Amalach and the people chasing him. So they were trusting in Shaul. So why were they turning on David? David was in the right. And he just wanted to be safe from Shaul. He didn't do anything wrong. Shaul was trying to kill him. He was a tzaddik. 
And Shaul was killing him for no reason, but Shaul was the king. So the people were giving away their secrets because they were afraid of uh, Shaul. And they wanted to be in good standing with the king. But a person really should have done say, I want to be in good standing with the Kaddish Baruch and with justice. And that's, I think, the Anshe Amana, the trustworthy people, if they are trustworthy, it's not just trustworthy to David, trustworthy to Kaddish Baruch it's trustworthy to Skarvonesh, trustworthy to that which you know to be true. And it's not, it's not right. It's an injustice to hand over David Amalek to Shaul. Now, I, what's the king going to do? I don't know. Yeah, ultimately, and human beings. So it's like, I don't know how, I still don't know how you can learn from that. It doesn't have to make or whatever, but just the idea is like that, that in the Amunavakash might express itself in doing Torah mitzvahs, treating Tzadikim properly, not, you know, supporting David as opposed to Shal. Oh, what do you, with the base of Isaac's point? What was your question on that? No, my question, I'm not talking about this point now. I'm talking about the shawl. I'm saying the pasuk, pasuk is he's bringing is um, he's saying Hashem guard me, protect me because um, you know, there's no more Anshe Amunah. People aren't trustworthy. I'm saying what does it have to do with trustworthy to protect David and to not reveal spill a secret? What does that have anything to do with trusting in Hashem? It's two different discussions. It's also well known that by the people that David was in Shah, and that's why Shal was after him. Oh, I see. It wasn't a secret. Uh, so, he's the Mashiach Hashem and, yeah, right, he's the Mashiach Hashem so he's eventually going to become king but they're worried right. They're worried about what Shal should have done in the meantime right, right. So, they should have had a to support the Mashiach Hashem instead of support the powerful king right so, I mean, you have to they think they can see hands. how it's going to work out in the physical nature, right. in the physical right. laws right. because they can see cause and effect but right. here you can't see it so you don't know right. so it's out of your control right. how am I going to live by supporting David ultimately isn't, isn't it going to lead to Kishol uh, Kalimi seems so I'll but never make it to see right. David as king right but you have to have Bitachon and Sarbonish uh, yeah yeah it's, it's still funny that it's bringing a riot I'm not sure what you're trying to bring a riot for well, I mean, it's the same type of thing because because um, even though they knew the idea, right? But it wasn't manifest at that point, right? What was manifest was that Shaul was the king, right? The idea that that David is Roy from Alphos is is an idea. Right, but it's right. not, but you don't see a manifestation of it right, right now. You see David as a guy on the run and Charles right. the guy with the power. And people are impressed by power. Manifestation of without that, you have the idea right. of Scarborough, but you don't right. see it manifest. I mean David is actually the king and Shaul's gone, then of course they support David. But when he's the underdog, it's hard to support him. Just so too, when Mikdash is down, it's hard to. Right. right, but really, you know that there was a mikdash. Like right. what's changed, really? Right. Okay, so you can't see the mikdash, right. so, but you know the ideas. You know the difference right. in our history. So right. what's the difference? But the answer is right. there is a difference emotionally. Right, and Gomar Chasid, there's no one. There's no one you can trust. I mean, nobody. Why is there nobody? There should be somebody. That's saying most mikdash destroyed. There's nobody. Ultimately, it's uh, you can't it's really. Not it's not the same, and in general, you're not going to have anybody who's really able to do it. Prior Mikdash is like post Mikdash. Prior Mikdash politically, David's glow and Shaul's eye. And after the Mikdash politically, the guy Marai and we're low. Right. The point is, is that generally people are not going to be able to to put their Amunah and Gashbrahu when the facts on the ground are the opposite. 
whether it's Shul being king of an endowed Hashem is in the underdog, or the Mikdash is destroyed and uh, Rome or whoever it is is uh, found out. Really, they should be worrying about the fact that they're not learning any Torah. Yes. And that right. they're not supporting the truth. Right. That, that, that right. should bother them and make right. them worry. Right. Right. The one thing I have to posit is when it says a person is passed Basal and he says, already tomorrow, doesn't quite mean literally that a guy in Mamish has food for today. And now he's saying that tomorrow, uh, you know, I just worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. It means he has a plan, right? Paspasala, as they use it, Paspasala means he has a plan. He has something, it's used very quickly, like, you know, his wife's going to be not in the end of the week or whatever. It's good called Paspasala. Paspasala means you have a good plan. You have a plan. You've got a bread. It doesn't say you got bread in your table. It says you got bread in the basket. It means like, you have a plan. But he's saying, what do you mean tomorrow? I'm saying tomorrow's like a figure of tomorrow. Saying, so what if he just says? It's like that type of thinking, you know, which is beyond that, which is within the, the dictates of your plan. And just trying to go beyond your plan. But I mean, I think it does, it's very practical though, because I think like there's, it does demand the person have a certain level of uncertainty. You know, it's like, if you really want to maximize, you know, security, you're not gonna, you know, it's saying you can't basically, you have to, in a certain sense, give up and to some degree in your, the utmost level of security that you'd want emotionally. There's a certain frustration person has to say, if I really want security for myself, my family, I'd work an extra or whatever, but I'm going to cut my hours. I, how am I going to make it? Am I definitely going to make it? Do I have a clear plan exactly how it's going to all work out? No, not really. Not a clear plan. I got a plan. It's decent. But do I know for sure? No, I don't know for sure. What's going to happen if, uh, I don't know, if that happens, I'll have to worry about that then. But, you know, okay. but, but it, should be okay. it should be okay, right? It should be okay. It should be okay. And now let's learn some data. And I, let's say it isn't okay, like I'll figure it out then. A lot of times, look, you will figure out that. You want to guarantee that even if, you know, the rainy day and another day, another rainy day, then, you know, there's like a limit to how much you need in the rainy day fund. The rainy day fund doesn't have to be endless, right? Even like advisors, the financial advisor, there's a rainy day fund, there's a certain amount of months you should have. Of, uh, I, was, I heard something like these Dave Ramsey guys. Or Four or six months. Four or six months. You don't, yeah, you don't need to rain the funds forever and ever and ever and ever. Like there's a limit. You don't need to be able to support your kids and your grandkids and whatever. Okay. There's a, it's time you could learn it. You, just, you know, there's, a, there's like this endless because of who knows what. Yeah. Oh, and one more point. On second, one more. Oh, yeah. So maybe the Olam it's like, it's not just an Avera you're doing. It's a whole attitude to what degree Akadosh Baruch Hu is real to you or the laws of nature are real to you. Right, so if a, if a person does the mitzvahs and all that, but they can't have the samuna point, it's like a measure of the person's commitment to the reality of a kadosh baruch Hu, or his um, lack in his attachment to that reality. And is are you more attached to everything laws of nature and yourself and your own ability to control it, or are you recognize a kadosh baruch Hu and his uh, role as arvonish in the world? So it affects your almaba. May not be a particular mice of error what you're doing, but it has to do with your connection. To, to, to Kaddish Baruch Hu as a reality. And also, it's a, right. and also it's a major investment of your energy, right? To the degree that you're involved in these types of worrying, it's like you're, you're right, your energy isn't free to be able to be involved in Chachma, involved in Torah. Right. There's always an endless flow of energy going away from, uh, from away from the, the present and away from the perfection and learning Torah and the mitzvahs. Going towards this endless, endless pursuit of all these different types of things. Right. 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 So, just to finish up, going back to this quote from my mother, 
So it says, enjoy and cherish every day. Don't worry so much about tomorrow or what might or might not happen. Do the best you can. But if you focus your worry on tomorrow, it makes you lose today and tomorrow. If something bad is going to happen, it will happen. You won't be able to deny it. At least you have today. And so many wonderful things happen in today. If something bad or unexpected happens, you will deal with it. You're stronger than you think. And maybe some good will even come from it. Only God knows what lies ahead, what starts around the corner. So I think that's part of her point is that she did, she had a lot of illnesses, a lot of things to be worried about. And did she know what was going to happen? Did she, this, she wrote this right before she had a surgery. Did she know she was going to make it out? She didn't know. She wrote this to get sent it to us thinking she may not. She ended up living another five years, but she had a lot of close calls and she had a lot of times where she didn't know what was going to happen, but you could spend forever. I mean, she obviously got good doctors as best as she could, but then there's still, you get there's always things. What if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? But ultimately it came a point and there comes a point and this, she was able to take this attitude as look, I have today and let me enjoy what I have today. And if something bad is going to happen, you can't control it. That's, that's her line. You know, if something bad is going to happen, it may not happen anyways. You can think about it for 10 hours. You're not going to stop it. So why are you just losing your 10 hours? So stop thinking about all these things. And there's always things you can think about and you can obsess about these things and it's endless. But enjoy your life and stop thinking about these things because it's not productive. Now, again, there's planning, there's going to the doctors, but then there's obsessing. And there's a fine line between those two. And it's a ma'akeva of our happiness is our, our, our being locked up in this micromanaging, over, over planning to the point where it doesn't ultimately, you can't, that's what you're saying, it, you can't stop these things. Certain things are just, you have to realize that we don't have the degree of control, which we like to think that we do have. And even if we think about it for endless hours, it's still, we still don't have control. I also saw a nice try of the Rashba in the Agadas. He says that when you daven with your feet together, it's like you basically have to think when you're davening, I have nowhere to go. Keep your hands on your side, your feet together. You want success? Stand here. You don't run around. There's no running around. You don't have to go anywhere. Stand right here. <laughs> Stay put. It's like a part of a person, which is plant yourself here, and you're exactly where you need to be. You don't need to walk anywhere else. You're before God, and there's like there's a time where a person has to be able to stop his motion and plant himself down and stand before God as well. Yeah, so again, easier said than done, but I do think uh, my mother, Hashem, was really embodied this midah, and I'm going to try to, uh, you know, write about these points. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of things to say, but I don't know, you know, this wasn't a very linear, you know, set of ideas, but somehow I think when you write, it has to be more linear. It's like, you know, I can just keep writing, it ram it's rambly a little bit. So I have to figure out how to like point by point by point by point in order and organize and you know, so, you know. You know.